If you need a new roof or a repair, Easton Roofing will take care of you. Estimates are always free and suggestions are built on integrity. Visit EastonRoofing.com for more information. Get back to business faster with Easton Roofing. Easton Roofing. Integrity matters. Welcome back to Sports Radio 810 WHB. Sterling Holmes joined now by Matt Verderam of Sports Illustrated. Verderam, how you doing? I'm good, how are you? I'm doing well. You having a good Labor Day. How's the fam? Good. It's uh, hot as all get out here, like it is I'm sure in Kansas City. So, um, trying to stay cool, but other than that, everybody's good. Uh, I want to talk some NFL first before we talk Chiefs-centric. First, I want to talk about Juju Smith-Schuster's knee, a, a story that has been recently broken um, earlier today, if I'm not mistaken, by Albert Breer, talking about the roster makeup and saying he's not fully, entren- fully entrenched or fully believing that he is healthy, saying Juju Smith-Schuster's knee is a mess and that thing could explode at any point. Juju obviously in response said, "I think my I don't think my knee is a ticking time bomb. If anything, it's something that is getting stronger every day. Do you think this is a real big reason why the Chiefs did not bring back Juju Smith-Schuster? Because it felt like when he went to New England, the Chiefs, while yes, we look now and say there's a lot of hope in this wide receiver room, it didn't feel like that just a few short months ago. I mean, the Chiefs were interested in resigning him. It just so happened that they weren't going to give him as much money." as New England was. So he went where the money was, which is typically what happens. And, and you know, the Chiefs, if that knee ends up being an issue, uh, they they dodged the proverbial bullet. I mean, now, that all said, um, the Chiefs have their own concerns right now at, at receiver with, with, you know, Kadarius Tony, who is practicing, he's limited, uh, but he's, he's out there. It looks like he's going to be able to go. The question is, he's going to be able to go every week. Uh, it's already had a knee procedure. And so, um, look, on Smith-Schuster, the Chiefs liked him. They wanted him back. But they wanted him back at their number, which is kind of a running theme with the Chiefs. And uh, their number was too low. So he went to New England, and now uh, there, there's, there's concern over you had a really fun article on Sports Illustrated. It makes you guys go to Sports Illustrated, Matt Verderman, and check this out. And you had NFL breakup players to watch for this upcoming season. Are there a couple guys that you were really intrigued about while doing this list? Yeah, you know, it's a list that I try to do every year, although this list was bigger. I think it's been passion stuff on five uh, players this year. I did 10, um, where I just talked to people that I know around the NFL. Obviously, this year I did a training camp tour in the Midwest. I saw nine teams, went to eight different cities. And so just kind of spent some time asking people, not just of, of these teams I saw in training camp, also around the NFL elsewhere. But, hey, look, give me a first- or a second-year guy who's not already established, who you think is going to be maybe a breakout guy, somebody who you're watching closely. And um, of all the people I spoke about and spoke with, these are the ten that ended up making the list. I think – you know, when you, when you watch Jordan Addison in Minnesota, uh, I'd be shocked if he's not a really good player. Brian Branch in Detroit, who the Chiefs are going to see Thursday, I think is going to be a very, very good player. Probably the best safety in that class. Um, you know, Tamari Connor made the list with the Chiefs, a guy that people are really high on, very versatile, can do a lot of different things. Um, I think, you know, there's going to be, of that, of that list of 10, I think there's going to at least be six or seven guys that by the end of it, at the end of this year, you go, okay, yeah, that guy is not only just like he's going to make the team, but he's a real player. He's going to contribute. In regards to Chamari Connor, as you mentioned, 
he was getting a lot of play with the ones and the Chiefs' three safety sets, but that was a preseason, not a regular season game. Do you think that continues? How would they use Chamari Connor? Um, yeah, I do. I, I, they, I know that they're very high on him. They really, and, he, and he's not the only one. I mean, look, you're not going to put in, um, you know, I'm not going to make a list of 25 guys, but Anadike Uzama was another guy the Chiefs are really high on, like immediately. And he's going to have to be good immediately based on their current situation. Um, but yeah, with, with Jamari Connor, he's somebody who he played in the slot a lot in the preseason. He blitzed a lot. Sound like somebody else that they have on that team? Um, I would think that, you know, if Sneed needs a little bit of a rest coming off that knee, um, you're going to see Connor get some snaps there. If they want to go with a three safety look, it's usually going to be. The, the the Reed, um, Cook, and, and Edwards train, but sure. I mean, there's going to be times he gets in there. I think he will get in there more and more as the year goes on, but I do believe that Connor is going to see the field on defense right away in some capacity. When you mentioned a little bit earlier on about the Chiefs want certain guys at their price, as you mentioned, this does seem to be a common theme. What is the holdup with Chris Jones and the Chiefs? What side are you taking if you are taking a side? Because for me, when it comes to Chris Jones, I don't know at this point what a holdout is really accomplishing. You're going to start getting money that you will never see back and money that you will never make up. I understand the argument of the guarantees, but where do you land on this Chris Jones-Kansas City saga? I think it's a matter of framing. Um, I don't know that I, I agree with either side. I would say this. I think that forfeiting game checks over a million dollars is just usually a bad idea. You typically are not making that money back. And, look, Chris is an all-time player. He's going to be 30 next summer. Like, it's one thing if you're Bosa. It's one thing if you're Brian Burns. And you're on a rookie deal, and you might have, what, eight years ahead of you? Chris Jones doesn't have eight years ahead of him. Chris Jones, if everything goes well, maybe has four really good years left. I mean, it's it's a huge risk. Now, maybe it, it pans out for him. Maybe he's the rare guy who he sits out and it just works. The problem is, if you're going to do that, you're basically gambling that Mahomes and Reed and Kelsey and everybody else, they're just going to start losing games. And if they don't lose games, your position's untenable. I mean, it's just, at some point, you're just going to have to say, okay, fine, I'm coming back. Um, I, I think look, what we know and what I know to be true and what's been out there from others as well, right now there's a two-year extension and there's, there's 54 and change on the table, and he has not taken it. That's guaranteed money. Um, he's, paying, he's paid 19 and a half in base salary this year. All that equates to three years, $74 million. Now, if you look at it from a total package of three and seventy-four, that's not twenty-five million dollars a year, and so that's unsatisfactory. But when you talk about new contracts, and I'll use another chief as an example, you talk typically about new money because when Mahomes got his extension way back when, everybody talked about it: ten years, four hundred fifty million, and it was forty-five million a year. Nobody talked about the fact the contract actually was twelve years. And there was a couple of years in the beginning where Mahomes wasn't getting paid nearly as much because he was on his rookie deal. So nobody was like, well, actually, it's $41.5 million, or it's 42. Like, it, it was 
10 years and, and 450 million. And that's the same thing that's true like Quentin Williams, Dexter Lawrence, Jeffrey Simmons. So I think the Chiefs are in the right in the sense that, like, it's like, no, look, it's a $27.25 million per year extension. That's the money. But according to Nick Wright, who put it out there on, on Fox on FS1 today, um, and I believe it's elsewhere as well, Jones is looking for 32 and change in new money, or 32 and I think it is in new money. Well, that's more than Donald. I don't see any world where that happens, even if the Chiefs aren't good early. Like I just don't see the Chiefs budging to that extent. Will they move some? Sure. I mean, that's possible. But I don't see all of a sudden them just completely caving in. Um, and I don't see Jones caving in either. So this, this could... This has the trappings of something that could take a, a while. What is the most likely outcome in your estimation, then? Is, is it a trade? Is it Chris Jones actually holding out eight weeks? Uh, again, at some point, I understand where Chris Jones is coming from, but the Chiefs do have a ton of leverage in regards to he is under contract this year. The Chiefs do have the right. ability to franchise tag him after this year if they so choose. Now, would that make the most sense for this team? That's a lot of money up front. I get all that stuff. But the Chiefs do have a lot of leverage in that instance. When does this come to a head? The problem for Chris Jones is that every time he sits out and misses a game, it not only saves the Chiefs cap and cash this year, it saves them cap space next year should they tag him because that number just keeps going down. Like if he misses seven games, that tag number next year drops almost $10 million. It, it helps the Chiefs. Like I, That's why, quite frankly, I don't understand at this juncture why this is happening the way it's happening. I understand Chris Jones holding out in camp and saying, hey, look, I can afford a million bucks. Okay, that's fine. I'm sure he can. You're now, though, actively hurting your situation moving forward. If you're Brett Veach, you're sitting there going, well, I'm not going to sit there and, and pay you more money when you're numbers this and next year are just going down. That's crazy. Why would you ever do that? That makes no sense. So if you're the Chiefs, look, the only way I see this playing out in Jones' favor is if they're just an absolute unmitigated disaster without him, and they're like one and three. And, he, and they, just, they just buckle. I don't even know that they would buckle then, but that's about the only shot you've got because they're not going to care if they're giving up 28 points a game and they're 3-0, and why would they care? He's coming back. I mean, it doesn't matter. They know a matter who's coming back. If you're the Chiefs, you're looking at the first six games of the year and saying all we have to do is outscore the other team for six weeks, which they're built to do. All they've got to do is find a way to win 35-31. And if they go 4-2 and or 5-1, and a matter who's back, maybe you're without Jones for a week, one more week. Like, I – I think in the end, it was a miscalculation not to just hold in for two reasons. One, he wouldn't be giving up any money in fines. Nothing. Number two, his cap hit would have counted against the Chiefs. Now that he's on the do not report list, it's basically from a financial standpoint like he's not on the team right now. They they could have put the Chiefs in a huge cap crunch, and they didn't do it. And so I just think if you're Brett Veach... You're saying, look, I'm willing to maybe move a little, but I'm not going to move a lot. And every game you miss, I'm going to move even less because you're helping me 
afford this whole thing going forward. Matt Verderam joining us right here at Sports Radio 810 WHB. And as you mentioned, the saving money against the cap this year, this could potentially open up the the spot, the money for the Chiefs to even bring in another veteran edge rusher. As you mentioned, Charles Mini, who missing six games. FAU, I don't care how high you are on him. He is still a rookie. Do you think the Chiefs take, take a look maybe at a veteran, maybe at someone who they couldn't afford earlier, but as you mentioned with Chris Jones not doing the hold-in, there's money available now. Do the Chiefs take a look elsewhere? They haven't yet. Now, after we won, you'll see teams sign a guy sometimes because then the contract becomes not guaranteed and all these other things. But they haven't. They haven't. Look, I don't think there's any way around it. Like the, the one thing that you hear and you see, you know, and you open up social media is this idea that, oh, well, they'll just figure it out without Chris Jones. Like they're not figuring it out on defense without Chris Jones. I, I hate to tell people like that's going to have a cascading effect. Okay, now it's easier to double Carl Loftus. It's, it's easier to run the ball up the middle. It's a hell of a lot easier for centers and guards to get to Nick Bolton. Your corners are going to have to cover for an extra amount of time. Like, there's no pressure in the middle, so guys are going to be able to step up and step out of the pocket. I mean, it's going to hurt them. It, it, I think with him, they could be a top-10 defense this year. Without him, they're lucky if they're in the top one. I mean, they are, they are going to struggle. He is one of the best football players on earth, uh, regardless of his position. That being said... I am surprised, quite honestly, the Chiefs haven't brought back a guy like Carlos Dunlap. But they don't have any seeming interest to do it. Uh, now, maybe they'll wait till after we've won, then they'll do it because it changes things a little financially. But uh, they're sitting there with Carl Loftus and Anadike Uzama and Mike Dana and Tashawn Wharton and Derek Nottie and Coburn, and they're hoping that's enough. And that, look, that's a big, big, Big ask when you're going early on against the Lions team that can score, Trevor Lawrence and all those weapons in Jacksonville, a Jets team that's loaded up now on offense, Minnesota who can't stop anybody but can score a ton of points. Those are four of your first five games. So the Chiefs offense better be sharp coming out of the gate. Well, I want to bring this up. How much pressure does this put on Steve Spagnolo? How much pressure of additional, you have to get some design blitzes, because now, as you mentioned, you and I agree on this. I think Chris Jones is a pendulum. He If he's on this team, top 10 defense. Off this team, it's a bottom 10 defense. He is that important to what this Chiefs D is. Now there's all this added pressure on Steve Spagnuolo with his design blitzes. What should we expect from him? Oh, I, I think... Absolutely, puts pressure on him. And by the way, I've done, you know this idea that like you also see, well, he's one guy. He's one guy. Go ask the Bills how it was without Von Miller last year. Yeah, okay. The Bills couldn't breathe on a quarterback after Von Miller got hurt. And before that, they were one of the best pass rushers in the NFL. Like it matters. It's a cascading effect. No, look, I think it puts a lot of pressure on them. I, I don't even think there's a question. Come Thursday night, and I'll be in the building for that game. They're going to have to blitz Goff. There's, there's just no other way. I would be shocked, shocked if the Chiefs rush four all night and get home. That is a very good offensive line, and they just don't have the horses. I, like, I'm a Carl Loftus fan. I think Carl Loftus is a very good player. would not be surprised if he double-digit sacks this year. There's nobody else there. I mean, you've got a, a, a rookie playing in his first game, and I like Dan and Wharton as much as anybody as far as rotational players. I mean, they're good rotational players. If you're asking those guys to go out there and play 70-plus snaps a game, I, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, and so you are 
paper thin. I mean, there, there's just no two ways. If you had a Menahu, you could at least go, okay, you know, maybe you could, you could get by. They don't have him. So this is going to be a thing where, yeah, absolutely, they're going to blitz like crazy, and they're going to try to get home. Now, maybe they can. I mean, Spagnolo, to his credit, is one of the best blitz designers in football. Maybe they just have a couple of games, maybe even a month, where they come up with some stuff that works. And Look, here's the, here's the positive side of this for Kansas City. You have an offense that all you've got to do is cause, like, one or two mistakes by that other team, game's over. I mean, that's, that's the flip side of this. You're playing teams the first three weeks of the year. They're not going to stop you. I think the Lions are better defensively, but they're not going to stop Kansas City. Jacksonville's not stopping Kansas City, and Chicago's not stopping a nosebleed, let alone Kansas City. So, I mean, the plus side of that is the Chiefs might give up 30 points a game and, and, and cover the spread all three weeks. I mean, they're capable of it with this offense. But, yeah, I would expect that Spagnuolo is going to say, look, we've got to win third down, red zone, force a turnover or two. And if they do that, they'll probably win the game, even if it looks ugly at times. Early on, I think for me personally, I think Drew Tranquil and maybe even Leo Chanel might be considered my quote unquote X factors. Leo Chanel, uh, Leo Chanel because I think he can get after the quarterback a little bit, but Drew Tranquil because he is such a chess piece, a guy who can get after the QB. He had five and a half sacks last year and was also ranked top 15 in coverage for linebackers. I feel like you're going to probably see a lot of Drew Tranquil. Is that the way you're seeing this play out as well? Or do you have another guy you might label as your X factor early on? No, I think it's a good call. I'm with you. And I've actually thought about this. Like, if I'm Kansas City, obviously I am not a coach, so take this for what it's worth, but I would think with their issues up front right now, I would not be shocked if the Chiefs just say, we're going big nickel. Like, we're going to go with, a, like, a 3-3-5 three, three, as a base, essentially. Or I guess I guess I should say small nickel. Like, take, it, take a defensive lineman off the field, put three backers out there, let Naughty sit there and play just like a true nose, or let Coburn play a true nose, and put put you know FAU and Dana and Carl Loftus on the edges, and just play Bolton Gay and Tranquil, and 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 move Chanel in and out of the lineup with him. Like I, I think that's probably your your best lineup. I, look, if you're the Chiefs in that front, you're conceding some run. You just are. But at the same point, do you care? Does it matter? Like, I, I don't know that you care, especially as the game goes on. If, you, if your offense is really rolling along, like maybe if you're Steve Spagnuolo, you go, that's fine. You want to run the ball five yards and attempt, go nuts. We don't care. That's, that's fine. Like, I would say this. The first six, seven weeks, like if Jones does miss that amount of time, don't worry about what their rankings are. None of it matters. Because that defense is not going to be with the defense you're going to see come January. It doesn't have a menu. It doesn't have Jones. They're always bad early on anyway, and then they round the form. Like, all that matters is winning the games. That's it. All that matters is finding some way to walk out of there with the W if you're Kansas City. And if I'm Spagnolo, I'm fine if the defense looks atrocious against the run as long as it means shutting down some passing lanes, getting a few sacks, and, and finding a way to walk out of there happy. Matt Verderam joining us right here at Sports Radio 810 WHB. You wrote an article on SI.com, and you took a look at the AFC North. You did a little preview here, saying the Bengals are still the team to be in the division of playoff, playoff hopefuls. When you took a look at the AFC North, there's some 
damn good teams in that AFC North. You have Lamar Jackson back with the Ravens, and you saw what that Ravens team did with him when healthy. When he was not there, they collapsed, but with him there, they do look like a legit AFC North contender. What did you find breaking down the AFC North? It's a top-to-bottom excellent division. I think it's the best division in the NFL. My surprise team, although I feel like it's not even a surprise team at this point, because a lot of people have picked this team, but I've felt strongly about this in spring. I think Pittsburgh should make the playoffs. Mm. Um, I don't think that they're going to challenge for a Super Bowl, uh, but I think they're going to be a playoff team. I look at Cleveland, and I look at Baltimore and say, if you told me those are going to be really good, like 11-win teams, I could see it. If you told me those teams are going to win eight games, I could see it. I'm more inclined to feel like Cleveland's probably the eight-win team, um, just based on I have no idea what you're getting out of Watson. I was at their camp. I will say in full disclosure, it was a driving rainstorm while we were watching practice. Watson was awful. Now that, that might just be a one-off, and but like I talked to somebody else who's at practice a, a few more days than that. And he wasn't good then either. I don't know what you're going to get out of him. Baltimore. All these years, it's always been, well, they have a great defense, and they run the ball, and they've got Mark Andrews. And now you're sitting here looking at this thing going, well, can they stop anybody? I mean, Marlon Humphrey is a great corner, and Roquan Smith's a great linebacker, and there's a whole lot of question marks around everybody else. Like, Justin Houston's gone. Jason Pierre-Paul is gone. Uh, Patrick Queen's the final year of his deal. Marcus Peters is gone. Um, you just look at this and go, okay, well, who's going to get a pass rush? Who's going to cover outside of Humphrey? Like, it's it's a real question. And offensively, they're changing their entire system. They're banking on Odell Beckham being healthy. I think Pittsburgh is the second-best team in that division. But I think any of them could make the playoffs. And with the exception of Cincinnati, I think any of them could miss. I think the Ravens might have the largest variance, just as you mentioned. This is the best offense I think we are going to see in the Ravens era, and I think it's going to be the worst defense we will have seen in the Ravens era. It'll be a good look at what Lamar Jackson can do. How much can he actually carry a team? We've seen him as an MVP. Can he do it once again? You also took a look at the AFC South. Uh, the Jags, yes, they have the Jaguars. That is going to be the team. But as a whole, what did you see from those four? Look, I, I think that division is pretty easy to break down. Jacksonville is the best team by three to five games. And then you get into, okay, how much do you believe in the Titans? I tend to look at Tennessee and think good defensive front, questionable on the back end, offensively, you know what you have. I mean, you have Tannehill, who's a game manager. You've got Henry, who's still Derrick Henry. You've got Hopkins and Traylon Burks. And I actually really like Oconquo, their second-year tight end. He's a very good player. Um, can their offensive line hold up? If their offensive line is better than I expect it to be, because they had a ton of change. Andre Dillard's coming in as a left tackle. They drafted Peter Skronsky at Northwestern in the first round. If they can block... I could actually see them like being in the playoff hunt, but you know, right, right around Christmas, and it's just kind of like, how does it all fall? Um, the Colts and the Texans, I think it's a battle for who's not the worst team in the AFC. I just don't see, and I don't, actually, the Raiders might have something to say about that before it's all said and done too. But I, I just think both teams, it's all about growth this year. First year coach, first year quarterbacks. Are, are, do you feel when you walk off the field week eighteen? Like, you found the right people in those places. If you did, 
I don't care if you went one and sixteen. You feel great about the year. If you feel like eh, whiffed again, big problem. Obviously, moving forward with the Titans, very quickly. They've always outperformed, it feels like, at least, media expectations. I've gone in year after year being like, this is not a good team. And then you look up, well, they won that division, or they're in the playoffs. They won nine games. They won ten games. I think it's a lot of, got to give a lot of credence to Mike Vrabel and what he has done there. Do you see some of that potentially happening this year, or is there just too much turnover for that to even be the case? If the offensive line can block, I could see it. I think they're more talented than people think they are. And there's just this tendency to just throw them out because everybody's got such a great quarterback and they don't. Well, Tannehill can win games, though. Like, say what you want about the man. Like, he he did beat Tom Brady and Lamar Jackson in playoffs. Now, I get it. He was not exactly the leading character. I, I understand he kind of just, like, handed the ball, stood there, but it worked. Like, they won that way. Um, the one question I have about Jackson, and, I, and I'm, I'm buying stock of Jackson this year. I think they're going to be very good. The one question I have about Jacksonville, can they stop anybody? Like, that is – everybody's talking about Trevor Lawrence and Doug Peterson and Calvin Ridley, and that's great. I think they're going to have a phenomenal offense. Can you name the cornerbacks on the Jaguars? Can you name mm. two pass rushers on the Jaguars? Like, it, that's my question with Jacksonville, is when they play teams that can throw the ball, what happens? Because I just don't know. I mean, Darius Williams and Tyson Campbell and and Josh Allen on the edge. And they, I mean, good luck, man. I I don't love it. I don't love that group. The good news is they play six games in their own division and they play the NFC South. That might be nine wins right there. So you know, they may not have to face that till January. Uh, since I'm going to go ahead and assume you have KC in the AFC West, I'll get to the AFC East, as you wrote on SI.com. The Bills are still the team to beat. I know a lot of people are trying to crown Miami. A lot of people are now crowning the Jets with with Aaron Rodgers and the plethora of changes they have made. Obviously, you still have right. Bill Belichick and the Patriots there, which uh, that's not a talented roster by any means, but it's still Bill Belichick, so you have to give at least some sort of credit to that. What do you see in the AFC East? So I do think that it's the Bills. Uh, the, uh, how do I word this? I think the Bills are the best team. I think the Dolphins are going to win the division if two is healthy. And the reason is because Miami plays a second-place schedule and Buffalo plays a first-place schedule. And if you look at the Bills' schedule, you can't find the harder one in the NFL, not in my opinion. I mean, they, they play, obviously, their six divisional games. They play the AFC West. They've got to go to Kansas City, okay, and they've got to go to the Chargers. They play the NFC East, where they're going to get Dallas and Philly and the Giants, and then and then they get Cincinnati, which is a road game. They get Jacksonville, which is a home game, but the game's in London, and Jacksonville is basically the home team every time they're over there in London, and they're already over there the week prior. So, I mean. What easy games are there for Buffalo? Washington, sure. The Raiders and Broncos, sure. That's it. That's the entire list of easy games that Buffalo has this year. Mm. I, I I think Buffalo could be really good and go like like really good and go eleven and six, ten and seven. I mean, it's just it's a gauntlet. Miami doesn't have quite that gauntlet because of the second place schedule. So I think the Jets will finish third. The Pats will finish fourth. If if two is healthy. I like the Dolphins, but obviously that's a, that's a huge if. 
Hmm. Matt Verderam of Sports Illustrated. Make sure you check out all of his great work on SI.com. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Matt Verderam. Verderam, always a pleasure. Hopefully I'll see you on Thursday. No problem. Take care. Take a quick break. Come back. Sports Radio 810 WHB. Welcome back into Sports Radio 810 WHB. Sterling Holmes, thank you to Matt Verderam from SI joining us. Always, always a pleasure talking to Verderam. Such great knowledge. Love the fact that he knows everything in regards to the cap, the Chris Jones situation, the money. Always good talking to him. I did an interview with Emmett Smith that I'm going to play now. I did this interview with Emmett. Um, it was on, what was that, on Thursday of last week. And I apologize, the quality is not the absolute best. But again, when you get the opportunity, you drop everything you can and you interview Emmett Smith. So that is what I did. Here's what I did with Emmett. Sterling Holmes with Fansided, joined now by three-time Super Bowl champion, NFL all-time leading rusher, most rushing touchdowns in NFL history. Pretty sure if I went through the entire list of his accolades, the intro would take the entire interview. Emmett Smith. Emmett, how are you? I'm good. How about you, Sterling? I'm doing great. It's a great, great day. Almost the start of the NFL season. But before we get into that, you're doing a really fun campaign with Pepsi. Can you talk about this a little bit? Yeah, uh, I joined forces with Pepsi along with a slew of other uh, professional athletes, retired professional athletes, Tom Brady, um, uh, Randy Moss, Jerry Rice, uh, Dan Marino, Josh Allen. Uh, you know, we all uh, doing this commercial called Unretirement. Uh, and so it's us watching the game, enjoying some of our favorite snacks, which is obviously Frito-Lay products and uh, chips. Doritos, you name it, my favorite happened to be Mountain Dew, the drink, along with uh, my Cheetos. But we're sitting around just reminiscing and watching the game and thinking about, man, we should come out of retirement and go join this game. Why not? And we think about it. We go out on the football field, and we quickly realize it is not the smartest thing to do. (laughs) And so – with that said, we, we come out. Of, it went. It was short lived. We experienced it. Don't want to do it no more. We appreciate the side of sitting on the sideline, enjoying these snacks, and watching the game from afar. That's <laughs> where we are, and that's where I'm at today. <laughs> Is there still a part of you though? If you were back in your prime, do you wish you would have played in today's era a little more pass happy? You were a great pass catcher in your own right. You're a great pass protector. Maybe a few less hits. Would you, well, would you prefer well, that? I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, when you win three Super Bowls doing the things that we've done, why would I want to throw the ball all over the place? I mean, at the end of the day, <laughs> you don't become the all-time leader in Russia by catching passes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess that brings you to the next point here is in today's NFL, there, there's been such a change. It was originally all about the running backs. You guys were the focal point of the offense. And now you're seeing this transition to quarterbacks, passing the ball, wide receivers. And you're seeing running backs, their value. They're not getting paid what they think that they are worth. What do you think the disconnect is between the running backs themselves, the, the organizations, the teams, the analytics, the underneath analytics talking about, you know, the, the value of passing is there. But it's still not played on a spreadsheet. It's played on the gridiron. Can you talk right. a little bit about this? 
Well, I think I think the game itself is acquiescing to, uh, like you said, the stats, uh, not only stats, but the analytics. I think uh, for the most part, when you look at the game of football, it is it has adjusted or it has gravitated to more pass happy, pass happy football league. Uh, unfortunately for the running backs, um, that does, that, that takes the ball out of our hands. But the only reason why there's a pass happy league is because you have guys like Patrick Mahomes who could throw the ball 45, 50 times a game and everybody think that their quarterback can do the same thing. And the reality of the fact is your quarterback may not even be the caliber of a Patrick Mahomes. And that includes a guy like Kyler Murray who can throw the ball quite a bit. But at the same time, the accuracy, the precision that's required to be that good requires a lot of other things. And so my thing is this. If you want to devalue the running back position, take us out on third down. Put a defensive, put a, put an offensive lineman in the backfield, let him, extra offensive lineman in the backfield, let him pick up the blisters. And just call us in when we want us to run, when you want us to run the football. I mean, at the end of the day, it's not my job now to be blocking on third down. It's my job to even make myself available in the passing game so I can get the ball and do what I need to do and then go from there. But, uh, I just think that the National League has done the running back position a disservice and, uh, and it's playing out before everyone's eyes. Now I'm going to just say this. When the shoe flips, don't disrespect the running back position. Because you're not going to always have the great Patrick Mahomes playing the quarterback position or a guy like a Jalen Hurts or a guy like a Tom Brady or a Drew Brees or a Russell Wilson or, or these guys or even, or even the kid out of, uh, out of Cincinnati, Joe Burroughs. I mean, you're not going to always have those guys. And so when the game flips back over to the running back position, which it will do, Ooh. then treat us with respect. And don't disrespect that position. If you do it now, it's going to come back to bite you sooner or later. The game is always cyclical. It always goes in waves. As you mentioned, eventually the running back position and running the football, you guarantee it's going to come back at some point. But what I find a little fascinating and interesting is, is teams like the Raiders. They don't have a, a Mahomes, a Josh Allen, a Joe Burrow. And yet, yet they're, they're so playing hardball with their running back. They're playing hardball. You're seeing it with the, the Indianapolis Colts, with Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor's been phenomenal. They have a rookie quarterback now that they're going to start, and you would think that would make sense to pay Jonathan Taylor. You have a quarterback, the, the, the guy that gets paid the most on a rookie deal. It just it has to be so frustrating in your shoes watching this play out. It is frustrating because at the end of the day, you're absolutely, you just touched on two key teams that have quarterbacks, and even down in Houston, they don't have that guy yet. But when you start looking at what the running back and the running game can do for a young player, it normally buys them time to even be developed into great quarterbacks. And so, but when you take the running game and treat the running back the way you are doing it, um, then you put you make you forcing that that quarterback to grow up quickly, and and that's what they're doing. So to all young quarterbacks, you got to come in ready to play. And the game begins between the ears. 90% of the game is mental. The other 10% is physical. Everybody comes in with some kind of physical capabilities of doing something. But the thing that separates all of us is really our, our mental capacity, mental uh, acronym to be able to understand the game, learn the offense fairly quickly, pick up blisses and all those kind of things, making yourself more valuable. 
And in the running back position, what I would say to any running back, to any team, the best ability is availability. And that's been a part of the problem also for running backs is not being healthy. When you look back into the days in which I played, Barry and all of us, you never saw us tapping out. You never saw me tapping my helmet. Tell I need a break. I mean, I had to be 35. Tell me I need a break after 25 carries. And if it was that close and that critical of a game, then I never came out. That is not what's happening right now. That could be because the league has made adjustments to the concussions. We don't know how much that's playing a role or even the financial aspect of what running backs are supposed to get paid since we're getting hit the most. So uh, it's a combination of a number of different things that we have to go beyond the numbers to really understand what the league is trying to get accomplished. I honestly believe the league is catering to fantasy football lovers because they want to have more points. I think they're also catering to the simple fact that uh, if fantasy football love it, we're going to try to change the game into a John Madden video game. And now they yeah. want that to happen because you have all the analytics that says do this and do that. And um, and that's what the game is is starting to go to, which is watering down the National Football League. It's not is not – turning into a complete game or complete team sport from that perspective. Yeah, I think you're actually seeing it across all sports. Baseball with the three true outcomes, you're seeing that analytics, while it might give the team the best chance to win, it's not the most appeasing. I don't think eventually fans, they might start turning away saying, okay, NBA, it's just three points and dunks. Baseball, home runs, strikeout and walks. And football, you're just throwing the ball. I do want to bring something up here with, with Josh Jacobs. So he reported to camp. Jonathan Taylor still not yet, right? And then, for example, not a running back, but Chris Jones, he has still yet to report. You missed two games. You held out two games in 1993. What does that ramping up period look like if, when you miss training camp? You miss OTAs. You miss a couple of the regular season games. What is the the difference, those first few games back? What do you have to do to get back in game shape? Well, at that point, <laughs> you just got to get some carries. And, and, and you gotta get, you gotta get broken into the system. And the one thing that I appreciated that the Cowboys did for me when I came back, uh, um, I didn't start right away. Derek Lassick actually started. And, and I came back with a slightly strained hamstring because I was training in Florida and I strained my hamstring. So, uh, they slowly broke me back into the lineup. But once I got back into the lineup, uh, that their first game back, I had probably five or six carries. I didn't have a whole lot of carries, but I, I got some game, game, uh, experience, some hits and so forth, which was also helpful. But as the weeks went on, my workload increased. And once it increased, I was on a t- complete mission to catch up because I was behind by two games and I wanted to lead the league in rushing again because I wanted our team to go back to the Super Bowl. And so, and I think that's, what young players will have to do, come into the game, come into the season in shape. Don't come into training camp trying to get into shape. And I think that's just the difference between the mentality of approaches that we see in young players to this day. Yeah. I think fans always expect players to take a pay cut. They're they're not the one putting their bodies on the line, but they're a fan of a team and they want to celebrate the Super Bowl, right? But you have been the perfect example of – you have the rings. You, you you held out until you got the money that you deserved. Can you explain to fans the finite life of an NFL player and why I think it behooves them? 
I think you guys, I think some of the running backs are doing the correct thing, getting what they deserve. Because if you're taking in all these hits and you might be done by 28, what are you doing post-life, post-NFL? So can you talk about this a little bit? Well, at the end of the day, I think any fan has to look at it from their standpoint, which they are looking at it from their standpoint. When you go into your boss and you want a pay raise and you've earned it, you want to get the fair share amount that you think you can get from your boss. And that's from any organization. And as a football player, when your contract is up and you perform at a level that you've been capable of performing and you've helped the team and you're a valuable asset to the team, not only on the football field, but even in the doggone, uh, in the pro shop when you're selling jerseys and so forth. And, um, and your popularity is there to help drive seats, uh, butts and seats. When that is happening, now you're benefiting that team overall. Not everybody has that capability. And so you don't ask quarterbacks to take a pay cut um, <laughs> when they're throwing seven to nine or 10 or 12 interceptions in one season and, and, and fumbling the ball and all those kind of things. You don't ask a quarterback to take a pay cut. So why would you ask any other player to take a pay cut? And if you're an employee and you miss, you're working 52, 52 weeks out of the year and you got your vacation time and you get sick, <laughs> and your paycheck still comes, <laughs> you don't go to the owner and say, oh, no, I'll take this money back because I didn't work these days. You don't want to do that, do you? So at the end of the day, I think everybody, you cannot compare apples to oranges and oranges to peaches. Everybody's at different levels. and But everybody wants somewhat the same thing. And the most important thing that I think most people want is to be treated fairly and to be treated with respect. Yeah. Uh, before I let you go, one more thing. The thing with PepsiCo is, is so fun. If anyone out there has not seen this, make sure you go into the commercial. It's going to be released. It's really fun. It's uh, hilarious. <laughs> I, I mean, you you out there huffing. Was it was it Jerry Rice asking for a Pepsi from the fan? It, it's, yeah. it's really good. I, I love finishing this with a, a Mount Rushmore. A Mount Rushmore of the four best running backs in your mind in NFL history. Who's on there? Jim Brown, Walter Payton, Barry Sanders, and myself. I love it. I love it. It's funny. When you ask these, these players from the 90s and 2000s, I love the answers they give. You give some of these newer guys some questions like this, I feel like they don't always have the, the wherewithal, the respect to the guys that laid the ground before them. So right. I love the fact that you're giving credit and credence to some of the guys that came before you, the respect there. I, I think it's, uh, it's always really, really cool. And I think that's the difference between us and a lot of the young players. That's one reason why we appreciate the game and respect the game and for what the game is and how the game has evolved is, is because we've embraced that position in its totality. Uh, there's no Jim Brown. There's no Emma Smith without a Jim Brown or Walter Payton. There's no Barry Sanders without a Walter Payton or Jim Brown. Jim Brown, uh, uh, God bless his soul, uh, set the foundation. Even in a time when, when football was not as popular for African Americans to break into. And he was one of the first pioneers to, to, to do that. And so without, without him doing what he was doing, what he did, I don't know if the pathway would have been as, as clear cut for guys like myself. Three-time Super Bowl champion, MVP, 
the best running back in NFL history, and now he's an actor with Pepsi. Uh, Emmett Smith, Emmett, really appreciate the time, my man. All right, man. Enjoy football this weekend. Will do.